Welcome to No Room for Phonies. We're back. Hi. Charles, Pam, and we are talking about personalization in education through differentiation. Is That's this a e- big mouthful. <laughs> Is this episode seven of the education series? It's episode six, eight. Eight of ten? Of 10. Okay. Right? Episode 8 of 10. There's two more. But this is episode 50 of the podcast. No, 49. 49. I'm pretty sure it's 49. All right. I don't know. It'll all be in the show notes. It's some number of the education (laughs) series and some number of the entire podcast. But anyway, it's a new episode. So, but first of all, we tried the August Frankie, the... Frangelico Kalua Irish Cream Cream Hazelnut topping. Hazelnuts. It was very good. It was yeah. It, it was, was very good. good. It's dessert though, it is, so yeah. don't be it's thinking. Yeah, sure. we haven't tried the full moon yet. Um, Kalua White Rum and coffee, and so we were trying to find it. Yeah, time. full moon. That would be for sure. Yeah. So, but we are excited about October. Yes. Which is buttered rum. So. Four teaspoons of sugar, a cup of rum, two cups of boiling water, and two teaspoons of unsalted butter. That sounds good. That sounds very good. So we'll pr- I'm pretty sure we'll be That's trying. That reminds me of the that syrup or whatever you make for the Christmas pudding. Yes, yes. Yeah. So I'm pretty sure we'll be trying that. Plus, we will be making Christmas pudding. I already have that on my list oh, of things to do. Oh, are we steaming a pudding this year? Yeah, uh, not steaming. Not Christmas pudding. Christmas cake. But oh, we well, could yeah. make Christmas pudding. We did once, right? We did that Even once. Even a gluten-free one, I think we tried. We did, yeah. And then um, my book recommendation this month is the Indian in, in, not the Indian, but Indian in the Cabinet, Speaking Truth to Power. It's the Jody Wilson-Raybould book. Awesome. And I listened to it on Audible, and I would highly recommend that. Very it was... So. Um, it captures a lot more of the emotion in her voice. Mm-hmm. And it was... Well, I'll let you be the judge for yourself. I'm I'm trying not to be a very political uh, podcast because right. everybody has their own views and I don't want to get into arguments with people. But on the other hand, it is quite, she is quite uh, strong. Well, and it's very inspiring just in the, mm-hmm. in the, in the current climate with Black Lives Matter and and, and the going-ons with the Indigenous discoveries of the... And she really felt that she could do nothing but speak up because of the way that things were going and and she felt that that was her um, responsibility ethically and legally to speak up. It was quite... Not in a political way. I, I just think it's really much a call to everybody to be an ally if you're not Indigenous and to mm-hmm. really... Yes, that the piece, there was, there's so much education in that uh, book about what it is really like to be an Indigenous person in Canada and what the government has or has not done to support Mm -hmm. that group of people. And I mean, I can't say anything about it because I'm not, but... It was very. It's a very powerful book, and I would highly encourage the listening part of it. Yes, that, that that would be it. Um, the podcast recommendation for this week, month, whatever time, is called yet. "The Sporkful," and it's a <laughs> podcast for people who love to eat and talk about the wonderful world of food. It's a James Beard, who I don't know who he is, award-winning pod 
podcast featuring interviews with food celebrities, discussions on important issues like whether a hot dog's a sandwich, and a lot more. So I that's the sporkful. That sounds like a good podcast. And then the question is, are you starting to make plans for your Christmas gifts yet? Because I am. Actually. I'm making lists of things that need to be made and done and whatever. I can't say anything more, but yes, there's plans. So anyway, that's that's kind of the questions. And uh, anyway, so right into this topic. And you said you haven't really had, you've been very busy differentiating for your students at Niagara College so you haven't really had a chance to look over this but I'm sure as a teacher I know in a different context but as a teacher yourself you're going to have things to add and there might be a lot of non-teacher listeners so what is no this is for parents I'm telling you what it is differentiation in the classroom yes it's designing your lessons based on students learning styles so Um, It's being aware of all the different kinds of learners that you have in your classroom and giving, like, obviously you can't design 20 lessons based on, but there are different learning styles, kinesthetic, hands-on, listening, people who learn by listening, people who learn by writing, people who learn by seeing, people who, like, there's all that. So when you're thinking about your lesson, um, I know that a lot of times in my class, I would actually do some kind of a learning style survey or something. So I knew what the real strengths of some of my learners were. And I thought about that when I designed my lessons. So that's it's part. Like, I always think of it as not teaching to the middle average. Well, in the definition um, that I put up actually on the webs are not on facebook on today oh yeah okay. like look find it because that really is is an important one if you didn't see it on facebook it's carol ann tomlinson who is a very very a uh, strong differentiator of learning but um it's um differentiate differentiation is simply a teacher attending to the learning needs of a particular student or small groups of students rather than teaching a class as though all individuals in it were basically alike. Right. So a lot of times you'll hear that teachers teach to the middle. So they don't teach to the low end. The stronger kids are bored and the lower kids are lost. Mm -hmm. So that's what we're trying not to do. Um, Differentiation is about grouping of students, and I'm sure you do that all the time. You might group students by a shared interest topic or by ability or just for a, a certain assignment, you mm-hmm. might make a group of students. That's differentiating. And changing groups around to ha- so that um, I used to try not to do ability grouping all the time. Sometimes it was good for kids to be, but other times you need to put... Like, I remember grade one, I was in the Orioles, and there were Robins and Blue Jays and Finches and other groups, but we all we knew yeah. we all knew which group was the low group. <laughs> right, and I think that's bad. And I also think that you have to know that your child, who may be brilliant at writing, may also struggle in a different area. So mm. um, that's what I always tried to help my kids understand that some kids are really good at certain things and some kids are not so good the kid that struggles in math might be amazing in gym and might be a real leader so Mm -hmm. you just have to really so it's grouping of students and it's assessing students learning using formative assessment so that you know where kids are at 
and it's managing the classroom to create a safe and supportive environment so that um, when I had um, people and when I had um, teachers bring their kids to in-school team which is where we talked about issues and tried to solve and come up with strategies for kids um, and they would say that their behavior was bad I would always say well are they struggling with their academic load? Mm -hmm. Because it's the tail that wags the dog, right? If it's too hard, I behave badly because I'm trying to save face. I'm behaving badly. It's too hard. Like, right. it's just... And a, for the strong kids, sometimes behaving badly is I'm bored and nobody's doing anything for me. And so I'm just going to act out. Yeah. And, and uh, differentiation really is about continually assessing and adjusting lessons to meet student needs. So it's not the idea that, okay, we all turn to page 10 in the textbook. I taught that. I hope you got it. Because I'm moving on to page 11 in the textbook. And that is not differentiation. And you might remember experiencing that in school from certain teachers. And then fact, it's a teacher who is differentiating is factoring in learning styles and levels of readiness first before designing a lesson plan meeting the needs and benefiting a wide range of students. So, so you're saying the plan has to be made first to think of the whole group right. rather than at the, at, the, at the spur of the moment. Oh, let's do this to address no. this. No, and I mean, the other thing is, um, and I think I get into this later on, but you actually have to be constantly assessing your students, not in a formal pencil paper way, but in an observational, um, anecdotal, that kind of a way in order to make sure. And sometimes you use things like exit cards. I don't know if you use those yep, in I your... Do. So that you can At say... At the moment, I have a digital one, but... I had an objective for this lesson. Let's see how many kids got it. Okay, 10 out of 30 got it. Apparently, I need to do some more work. But I'm not going to make those 10 people who got it yeah. sit through it sit all, through again. It all I'll, again. I'm going to differentiate for them and give them a, it could be a parallel task or something else mm -hmm. that, you know, whatever. And then <clears throat> it may just require teaching the same material to all the students using a variety of instructional strategies, or it may require the teacher to deliver lessons at a whole bunch of different levels. So it there it's a bunch of things. So there are actually four ways to differentiate. Mm -hmm. There's content, which means that the content is differentiated, so it's at different levels for different kids. Okay. So kids who are... Um, doing math, you're in a math class and it's a grade four math class, but there's still some kids who have not reached grade four level. And so you are scaffolding those skills for them and not just expecting them to. So you might have some high flyers that are already ready for some grade five concepts. So you're that's how you're differentiating content. But the, the, the struggling kids don't have to listen to the no. part of the lesson that the no. high flyers are no. moving along with. Yeah, okay. it's, it's frustrating actually too. Mm -hmm. um, and then process is another way. So there's content, process, product, and learning environment. And those are the four ways that a teacher can differentiate mm -hmm. in the classroom. So content, we know what that is. That's the actual curriculum being changed to meet the needs of the student. 
you might reach back or you might reach forward. Right. doesn't matter. So if you're in grade two, you might be reaching back to grade one or you might be reaching forward to grade two or three because you're, you, you've learned things. It's like, and I'll give this example about kindergarten because it's the one that drove me crazy. <laughs> kids come in, some kids story. learn, have all their numbers and letters. They're, they're good. Got it. Some kids are reading books. So why is the kindergarten teacher sitting with all those kids on the carpet going, this is the letter A? Mm. They should be doing um, like some kind of science or reading or whatever. Mm -hmm. But none of that sit on the carpet. Though the kids in the group who still don't know their letters can have um, things directed at them to help them learn their letters. The kids that are already reading Can go need opportunities else. to do research and like mm -hmm. writing and all those kinds of things. So I, that's where I see, you know, and it, it's very, it's true in every grade. There are non-readers and, but I'll get into that later. So content, process, product and learning environment. So process is what I was talking about before where you're delivering using learning styles, visual, auditory, kinesthetic. And some students do not require the same amount of support from the teacher. So you're even offering support on an individual needs basis. Right. Like so for self, some self-starters, you know, you set them going and off they go. And others with check-ins, with check-ins, but yes. not the same as. And then that, you know, when people say, "Well, I can't deal with like 20 kids all at once. How am I supposed to differentiate for them?" Well, I'm going to tell you that in in most classes a good quarter of those kids are high flyers so if you design self-directed learning tasks for them the, especially in science social studies reading mm -hmm. writing like even math yeah well like, where they don't need to be taught and remember explicitly. when i used to talk to you about having around the outside well i'll, I'll get into that in <laughs> if we keep getting to the other thing but product is the other is how they show mastery of a concept and this can be done in the way the child prefers. So auditory learners can give an oral report. Mm -hmm. There is nothing in the curriculum that says every child must do a book report on this certain book in order to pass grade two. Exactly. Like they, you can have a movie, you can have art. So just art. To, to get like an example I do in my classroom, some, some of my students want to do a poster talk, so they design a poster and stand beside it and talk to the class. Others make a PowerPoint presentation. Others write five or six paragraphs and don't talk at all to anybody in the class. Uh, it just depends on where they feel their strong suit is to show that what they've learned. But they have to show what they know. Yes. But you also have to do it but in a way... But the product is different the product can be different and it you know i'm not saying that kids never need to write a test but every kid should be allowed to write a test differently some kids need the test read to them some need kids need the test read to them and be allowed to tape their answers or give their dictate their answers to no. someone like there are no rules about this and there are no rules in the curriculum about this no. the only um time when your kid actually needs uh, an IEP where they are um, like formalized is if you're reaching back more than two years in the curriculum. Mm. IEP is individual education plan. 
which is called all kinds of different in things different in different countries and, countries and provinces. provinces. The learning environment is about groups and individuals and quiet places to learn and what's available to them. So when I had a classroom, I always had surrounding on the outside um, what I called um, challenges. And so kids could always know. And within the challenge, I had challenges that were okay for kids who were struggling right up to, you know, so um, if nobody, you know, when you're done, you've just begun because there's always a challenge in the classroom that you can try. There were kids, some kids that were working on big individual projects mm -hmm. that they would go to when their, you know, when their curriculum work was done. So that's kind of, so I wanted to talk about really some differentiated strategies for different subjects, which can apply sort of a, across the board. But I can wanted I in to yeah. interrupt you. So parents that are listening, what can they do with this information once they have it in hand? And yet they're not um, seeing my my way of um, helping parents to uh, to communicate with teachers is to ask questions. I'm noticing that my child is struggling. What is it can, that we can do? I'm noticing that my child is bored. What, you know, how do we help, you know? So mm -hmm. those, it has to be done in a, you can't call them up and say, well, I want to see you provide my child with a choice board. Right. Like, <laughs> but by asking and talking and, and really not taking no for an answer. No, I think that my child needs something extra or something. Mm -hmm. Like, you know, parents um, underestimate themselves, I think, yeah. in what they... And I and I, I think that 100% there's a real fear. Mm -hmm. And the number one fear about getting in touch and communicating with your teacher and maybe getting into a conversation that might be slightly like what you would consider pushy or starting to ask some questions is what is that teacher going to do to my child based on me? Mm -hmm. And that should never be a consideration. If, you're, if that teacher takes it out on your child, then you need to deal with that problem. <laughs> Because that's yeah, a big problem. That's not professional. That's not professional. So, so anyway, back to anyway. I wanted to just go over like a few little differentiation strategies that you know you can know about, and that um, well, you can always direct the teacher to listen to this podcast. There you go. <laughs> <laughs> so a choice board is one of the coolest things, and I used to use this all the time. So um, you can have the ops op the opportunity to learn about say probability during doing a whole bunch of different things playing a game with a peer watching a video reading a textbook or working <coughs> on problems on a worksheet so you could say all of these activities are available to you so pick one mm -hmm. so uh, it can be the same thing with um, culminating tasks on a choice board so mini lessons are my big thing for um, in for differentiation. So you have done an exit card. You know that 10 kids didn't get it. So you sit down and do a mini lesson with those. You might do it in two groups, but you're going to do a mini lesson. And um, manipulatives, for sure, you should be seeing manipulatives in kids' classrooms in math. for math. Oh, yeah. yeah, these are about math. Um, students who've already mastered 
something can actually create activities for kids who haven't mastered it yet. Right. They can make create problems or activities or whatever. And for students um, who have already mastered something, they can be given the opportunity to explain their answer to somebody else. Not talking about another student. I'm talking about, I love this as a principal. When a kid would arrive at the door with their manipulatives and their math problem and say, can I explain to you how I did this? Wow. And that would, right? Mm -hmm. Or make a, have math buddies with another class and get kids going like uh, grade three kids going out to grade eight kids and solving a problem together and and figuring something out that's maybe obviously lower than the grade eight, but more advanced than the grade three. So Mm -hmm. Math Buddies is a great thing. So how about science? Here's a, here's a few suggestions for science. Um, help stations where peers assist each other with um, uh, experiments or things that they're doing in science. So setting up a question and answer session in science, right? Where mm-hmm. you, that would, that would, I have done that to kick off a unit Let's ask some que- let's let's put all our questions about outer space up on the on the board and then we can go through the um, unit and, and when we find them. the answer to that question we can put it up there a word wall of all the wor- words and vocabulary that we're using in that unit mm-hmm. and kids can create that kind of a visual word wall and so it it um challenges the the kids that are not struggling as much where science is their thing to come up with the symbols to go with the words or the words themselves and for the kids who do struggle then they have all the vocabulary which we know that vocabulary is the key right that's Mm -hmm. particularly interest centers I mean I'll go back to saying that I it was a sad day when centers left primary I know and when we worked on themes and did all that. But um, there might be an excavation center, a reading center, a dinosaur art project center, something that focuses on anatomy, a video center. Like, so all these different activities. And, um, and then it says as well, this is where your content learning should take on various formats. Some oral, some pictures, some mm-hmm. this fill in the blank things, but all that sort of thing. And here's here's your specialty, ELL learners. Yes, absolutely. So you can see if you agree or disagree with any of these. All teachers need to become language teachers so that the content they are teaching the classroom can be conveyed to the students whose first language is not English. Yeah, that's a big deal (laughs) i mean those of us that work in esl classrooms with a homogenous group of esl children i mean homogenous i shouldn't even say that but uh anyways similar level kids or or if they're in the age appropriate grade um uh i taught in the high school once where the history teacher said okay you fix these kids and you teach them what they need to know so they can come to my history class and do history with the rest of us and no, if, you, if you're if you teaching a content area too and you have ELL children, 
in your classroom, you have to teach them language as well as teach the content to the whole class. And it works in some and, and I think one of the things they say here is that it's okay for them to read some things in their own language. Oh, absolutely. Some people get and all even bent write out, some things. Some people right? get all bent out of shape about making it English only and they punish children for not speak for for not speaking English only. And yet uh, literacy skills are transferable. So if a child goes home and reads a journal, uh, or like maybe he's just made a picture journal, but then describes the pictures to his family in his first language, and then comes back to school uh, and does it the best he can with English, with the teacher providing a lot of things. And then the child goes back home and does it in English for his parents. It's it's celebrating the bilingual brain, and it's a huge success and very important. Right. And then, basically, while that is happening, while you're rewarding the child for those kinds of successes, you're also doing a lot of activities where you're building vocabulary. Because yeah. that's the main thing, right, yes. is the building of vocabulary. And working in groups. Um, they should be grouped with kids that are, um, you know, English Speakers, yes, native as speakers, well, native speakers mm -hmm. as well. So anyway, that that's interesting. Differentiated instruction or uh, strategies for reading. Um, tiered assignments in, in reading to allow students to show that they have learned at a level that suits them. So um, reading groups can pick a book based on interest or be assigned it based on a reading level scaffolding instructions giving clear ex explanations with visuals and flexible grouping and I think the other thing we have to realize is that technology is available to read things to kids yeah. and that's okay like totally okay because it allows kids to be exposed to um stuff that's beyond their reading level absolutely but they can and their passive vocabulary will grow in a yeah. leaps and bounds like particularly once kids get past grade three in grade four and up they need to be building vocabulary so um and the same thing for writing definitely conferencing with kids like teachers should be conferencing with individuals and individual groups so they might hand in a writing assignment and they say all seven of these kids are struggling with you know the use of a comma or mm -hmm getting their ideas co co coherent like right. or or having characters in the stories that yes. do something right but, so yeah. you know you you have those conferences with kids but you also have to remember google read and write which is highly accessible to everyone allows kids to read and write like google write is speaking mm -hmm. speech to text so kids who are struggling, if you're one, if you, if you've got a kid with wonderful ideas that has this, either has a working memory issue where writing is very difficult for kids with working. No, because they can spill out the words talking, but they can't get it so, into transferred to their fingers. Technology fast is like crazy good. Also, I think assigned writing to topics. I hope we're still not doing that in school. So kids should be able to write about their own small moments, special moments, whatever. Lucy Calkins is a great, if you want to read a little bit. About. And as they get older and they need to write about the content that they're learning about, it's still important that they get to choose what angle they're, what point of view they want to write about it. And 
you know, maybe they want to write a humorous piece uh, about dinosaurs, or if they've been studying some scientific or physics thing, they can create, you know... Writing a, is writing. Writing fiction, is writing. Non-fiction, fiction, whatever. Non-fiction. And the same thing, reading is reading. If the kid reads a magazine or a newspaper or something off the internet, reading is reading. There's two things that I feel are highly important. One thing is like a writing folder where you keep writing samples so you can see a progression of ability across a year. I think that's really important. And it's important for the teacher to keep it, not for it to become bunched up papers in the backpack. Yeah, we really need to <laughs> keep sightings, keep um, keep samples so that you can really go back and see. And now... Like with blogs and internet and stuff, all you have to do is take a picture, upload it into the kids' digital um, portfolio, and ba-boom, you've got it. And the other one is graphic organizers, and uh, there are a myriad of graphic organizers. And as long as you teach kids how to use them properly, like I would go into classrooms sometimes, and the graphic organizer was so filled in that it was the story. Mm Mm-hmm. So you have to teach kids about brevity and about planning ideas without writing the whole story on that, particularly in younger grades, right? Absolutely. So, but a graphic organizer. We, we use them a lot in in English as a second yeah. language too. So, um, and then there's spe- special education, which was kind of my um, specialty, and a lot of them are the same. I don't think that the the strategies for differentiation for special ed are that much different than any other, you know, the multi-sensory, the flexible grouping, assistive technology. Like, there's just all these things, explicit modeling. Like, how many times have I walked into a classroom and it's like these, or had a teacher come to me and say, oh, these kids, like, they can't write a paragraph. Well, did you explicitly show them how to write a paragraph? Like, explicitly. Mm -hmm. And go through it step by step. Because, I don't know, it's the same thing as when we talk about organizational skills, right? Like, you have to show them and explicitly show them. Okay, this is how we put everything into our desk. This is how we return the the crayons and the scissors to the um, shelf. Because if you don't, they will just throw them on the shelf or throw them in their desks, and then you're yep. digging through. Well, and modeling writing, for example, it's 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 on the fly, spontaneously, asking students to suggest a topic, and then you start writing about it, and you stop and you say, okay, I'm thinking about this, but I also am thinking about this, and I have to choose which way I'm going to go. And you show them that, as a writer, you have to make that choice. That it's not ma- that it's a, not like magical. There was a comprehension resource long time ago that I used quite regularly called Think Alouds, and it basically took you through comprehension and said for you what would might be going on in someone's head. Mm-hmm. And so you know that's metacognition, right? Yeah. So. Anyway, and how do teachers know what to do? And how do you find out how to differentiate for a child? And and this is where the diagnostic, the assessment as learning. So while they're learning, you're watching them for learning, which is to see what they need to know next. 
And the uh, as learning is the teacher walking around going, oh my gosh, this group is struggling like crazy. Come here, little group. Let me help you figure out why you're stuck. Mm-hmm. So it's getting kids unstuck in the moment. That's the as learning part. The for learning is what you do with an exit card or looking at a little assessment that you did at the end of a class so that you know what to do tomorrow. Mm-hmm. And then the of is the assessment of learning is at the end is the culminating task kind of a thing exit cards and interviews and conferences that's how teachers learn how to differentiate and work samples and culminating tasks and time and technology like there's just all these these tools that they have to find out Mm -hmm. how to differentiate for your kid but um it is okay to say to a teacher, have you done a diagnostic on my child? Do you know what their reading level is? Do you know where you're going with them? What you're do about you know to do? Do you know what gaps there are in math? Do you know how my kid responds to learn to writing tasks in class? Do they lose their pencil or break their pencil or and do nothing? Or are they so maybe totally we need writing like crazy. Like, so do we need to look for another way for them to write? Like, draw your picture first. And that used to drive me crazy because I had grade one teachers that would say, no, they have to draw their picture second. Well, no, some kids actually need to draw the picture and then write about it. Mm-hmm. Like, I'm sure if you talk to children's book authors, they might say that. I drew all the illustrations and then I talked, to, then I talked about them. Yep. So, um... And finally, I wanted to talk about the individual individual education plan, which is the plan that is put in place through a committee with you present as a parent. Do not give away your legal right to be part of the individual education plan committee. I don't care where you live. You have a right to be a part of that. And you that should not be a phone call where they say, oh, the uh, mid-year assessment is coming up, so we want to put your kid on an, e- an individual education plan to make sure they do well on it. Yeah, no. That's totally... It's a legal contract. It's binding, and you need to be present. For so... There can be an accommodations plan that is not um, like an individual. It is still an individual education plan, but it is not altering the content of your child's education. Mm-hmm. So in order for them to put you on like a uh, uh, formal, ed- like a... <clears throat> an, an individual education plan where, you're, where they're reaching back, your kid should be in grade three, working at the beginning of grade one. You're, I'm confused. Say that again. So if you if have they're an individual going to, education plan, like if they're if you're they're gonna say to you, we're gonna put your kid on a like a an ed- education plan where they are no longer at the grade level. Then. Oh, okay. <clears throat> that, right. That's okay. Yeah, where yes. at, where your the program is altered. Right. So then, then they're you, not doing the same curriculum. As they're not their doing cohort. the same curriculum as their cohort, and the problem is once they get to high school, and even once they get to grade seven, eight, mm-hmm. and so this is what where I encourage like 
you can still do some of the, you don't have, there's two ways to do it. You can reach back and do a whole different curriculum, a modified, completely modified. My kids in grade three, but they're working in grade at the beginning of grade one. My kids in grade six, but they're still working at the end of grade three. Like it's got to be a pretty dramatic proof kind of a thing. Right. But they can also modify it by just cutting back on the number of expectations that they are actually evaluating your So they're covering on. the same content. But right. So in history, there's eight um, objectives or whatever, mm -hmm. learning outcomes that are required for this unit. So instead of giving your kids something like from grade four history, which makes no sense, just cut back and your kid can deal with four of those eight expectations. Mm -hmm. And I guarantee that by the time they get to grade nine, it will not make any difference. No. So in the same thing in grade if four. If anything, they'll have more confidence and not be so beaten. And so down. even if in language they are really modified, like in language they are still working on learning the words from grade one or two and they're in grade four, three or four, Fine, do that in language, but there's no reason why they can't hear the same content in social studies and science and art. None of those things have to be modified. No. And even in math, you can, you can be careful about that. I mean, there's certain things, if they're not counting and they're not, so just make sure that they're really reaching back a long way before they put your kid on a modified program that has them sitting in a grade four class working on grade one stuff. Because right. that's it's not always necessary. And um, it's written and prepared by you as a parent, the teacher, and usually a learning resource teacher. Yeah. But you have to read that thing and you have to go get a friend who's a teacher or someone that you trust to go over it with you and take it back in and make suggestions. And it's called a working document for a reason. It shouldn't be made in September and then updated in, you know, February and then right. not... Or how it, about October two years later? No, yeah, no. It, it should be a working document changing as your child changes, which we all know that kids change pretty quickly. And uh, you have to sign it, and you should be invited to a meeting to discuss it, mm -hmm. and you should go. And who's responsible for it is usually the, the classroom teacher, almost 100%, and the learning re resource teacher may either come into the classroom or withdraw your child for certain things. But make sure you know what the learning resource teacher is doing with your child and what objectives or learning outcomes they're dealing with because they should be doing some specific things to help your kid get caught up. Mm -hmm. Like unless, you know, and I know there's things like learning disabilities and all sorts of things, but that's, you know, those are formal identifications and those happen sometimes through assessments. But the gen, those should be eight to 10% of the population. Mm -hmm. So most, for most people, that's... And how are you, you should be updated every time there's 
like a major change in something. And if you haven't heard from your child's teacher about how things are going on the IEP after like three, four weeks, you should be calling and saying, can you just update me? Where are we at? We were working on these goals. How are they helpful? So, I mean, this is not a passive document. If a, if a teacher decides that it's important, then it should be um, something that is part of your discussion on a, on a regular basis. And it is your right to have that information. And I just said um, formal and informal. So the only way that you get a formal individual education plan is if your child is identified with something. And I think most people can look up on ministry websites the different identifications. They, they mm -hmm. do change because of research, research and, and stuff yeah. that they have. But your kid can be identified, but they would be formally identified. And nobody can get formally identified without the parent sitting in the room because it's a called an identification placement and review like mm -hmm. you can't so if you get a call saying oh I think your child has ADHD you can't take no. that at face value <laughs> at all <laughs> I always said to my teachers doc you're not a doctor and so teachers like to do to well uh, maybe you should consider medication you know maybe you should consider taking your child to the doctor and talking about medication mm. no it's not a teacher's When do you place. go to the... Let's consider this as an adult human being. Yes. When do you go to the doctor and say, well, I really think maybe I'd like to have some heart medication. <laughs> like, no. You talk about what your symptoms are, and the doctor might say, well, we're going to put you on a diet. We're going to do this. We're going to do that. We're going to make sure that everything works properly. Like, for kids, their eyes, their ears, their nose, eyes, ears, nose, and throat. Mm -hmm. That like because that's allergies and all kinds of stuff that impacts, you know, learning how they and, learn. Yep. So they don't just go, oh, let's just see if you fidget in your chair so we can identify you as ADHD. That should be a long process to get to that point. So not a fan. So informal though, there can be an informal individual education plan without mm -hmm. an identification. Yes, but just. Be wary and don't just jump into that. Get some advice and there's, you can actually call the Ministry Her. of Education. You can call me <laughs> because you have to be, like I took kids off IEPs like crazy mm -hmm. because it made no sense. We were just on them for, I don't even know why sometimes because well you inherited those kinds yes of i did a lot of them and so and the other one i just wanted to touch on was when do you get an ea and what's the purpose of having so an EA? ea is an educational, educational assistant, assistant in ontario but other provinces or and even countries have yeah have other but, names for them but basically they're assigned as an aid to your child and in ontario it's basically based on physical or or behavior needs so the child cannot function safely in the school environment without somebody to help them out. And the purpose of an EA is to build strategies that actually make your child as independent as possible. So I was kind of a mean principal because I moved EAs around a lot so that kids didn't get they didn't get attached like Velcro to the hip of a child. They're not supposed to be a nanny. No. 
and you shouldn't you should be saying please change up my kids EA because I don't want them just depending I mean I watched EA's tie shoes and do things that they should never have been doing for a child that the child was fully capable of doing on their own and uh, the EA is not responsible for the child's academic programming the teacher is responsible so just keep that in mind because a lot of teachers are happy to slough off uh, whatever your child's academic program is onto the EA and that does not mean that they can't help them you know review letters and numbers and do stuff with them but that is not their job their job is to help your child build strategies to be independent in society so that's my little two cents so that's my my two cents about differentiation but it's basically about the teacher knowing your child and creating a program that meets that child's needs. Whether, whether that would be in small groups or sometimes pulled aside individually or off on their own doing something, but it is about teachers being completely responsible for knowing who your child is and doing appropriate things in the classroom to help them be successful. Absolutely. So um, my October 15th is going to be strategies that build community in schools and what should all schools promote. That sounds exciting. So that'll be kind of fun. But uh, please, as always, you can always contact um, me, us, at um, noroom4phonies.com. Or I'm sorry, at gmail.com. That's the... And then there's um, the website, which you can... You know, get in touch with us there. Facebook, Instagram, Twitter. There's all kinds of places where you can reach us. But um, my main um, piece of advice for parents is pay attention to your child's education and don't be afraid to ask questions. So thank you for joining us here at No Room for Phonies, the pathway to differentiation for everybody.